Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Brian Plank. Good evening. As we take a look at this last week or so in film, ending with a review of Thor Ragnarok, the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That review may well contain some spoilers, so we'll tell you when that is coming up so you can avoid it if you are one of the two people left in the world who've yet to see the film we're going to forego a quiz and because we can't remember what the score is and we're going <laughs> to forego the news because not a lot's happened other than a lot of people touching up people they shouldn't have done allegedly <laughs> yeah and we well, talked about that the last time we've done a podcast Owen. so we don't want to do it again yeah, we've done that now. It's over. Yeah. We we don't never yeah. need to talk about that again. Yeah, we've so, right. we've covered groping extensively on this podcast. We never need to talk about groping again. That's how it works, mm. I think. Yes, we only we only discuss um, topics once. There is some big news though. How how long have we um been doing a podcast together, Owen? How long have we been doing it? We started yeah. in April 2012. Yeah, and I've been podcasting for seven years. I've actually bought a mic. Yes. Like for the first time in seven years, I actually bought a proper mic for this. So this is what I sound like. I know people yeah. are, are just—they just wondered who the new host is. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, the, the one with the nice smooth auto tones. You just silvery tones, extremely in our ears. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, but uh, <laughs> we are also going to just have a quick look at some of the stuff that Netflix has been putting out recently, mm. um, as Netflix have been chucking up more and more original content, um, some of which has been fairly decent, Owen. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, a couple of things that I think we should talk about to, to start with. Um, I've, I've watched all of Stranger Things 2 now. Um, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But Brian, the reason we've got this section here is because you wanted to talk about um, Star Trek Discovery. Because we're, what, six episodes in there? Uh, seven. Seven came out today. Seven's pretty good. Okay. It's uh, a timeless episode. And it does it very well. So if you're familiar with Live by Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. so it's Golden mm-hmm. Britain, or any of the other Star Trek time loop things, it's like that, but it's very quick and the none this you, you won't believe me this is crazy and the time it's time loop and they go oh yes here's how we do things with time loops um i'm enjoying discovery but there are bits in it where you can tell that they change the writers halfway through mm. and there's bits where plainly gone after the first draft oh we'll just film it anyway no one will notice there's a few scenes that are pretty poor yeah, it's not it's not grabbing me at all. I have to admit, we're, we're watching it, but each episode I'm less and less bothered about whether I'm going to continue. It's um, I don't know what it is. It just I've heard, I've read a lot of reviews where people have said it, it feels very Star Trek, uh, whereas for me I don't think it does. And I think I figured out it's because it's not following a captain, like the captain isn't the main person in it, and I think that might partly be why it's just not. It just doesn't feel very Star Trek to me. And also, it feels a bit mature to be Star Trek. It, it is because they said fuck once. They said swear words, Brian. Mm-hmm. They said swears. That's um, not in that. That's just not on. That's not cricket. Thing is, when you say, or when people say it feels very Star Trek, 
what do they mean? Do they mean it feels like the original 60s series? Do they mean it feels like TNG? Yeah. Does it feel like... Because Star Trek's becoming a very broad canon. Um, I, I quite like how it's an ongoing narrative. So it's not episode of the week, it's not one and done. There are bits it, it feeds in and it moves along with, and I'm getting involved more that way. I didn't realize until someone said today, the new security officer, to place the old ship security officer from Battlestar Galactica. The new guy's Dan Fandango from Tours of London. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah. Of course it is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Could you hear me, Captain Lorca? Yes, I can hear you, Lieutenant Tyler. Ah. And obviously, yeah. uh, he's. He's also, spoilers, he's playing the Klingon spy, isn't he? Hmm, yes. That, that's not even negotiable. No. And I think the captain knows it as well. I think he's going to yeah. use him as a, um, a, a, a double mole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm invested. I want to see where it goes, because it's, it's doing another one of these mid-season breaks. I think we get eight or nine episodes, and then it stops, and then it comes back in the spring. Why do they do mid-season breaks in American TV? Is it just because they start them in, like, the autumn and then Thanksgiving and Christmas comes around, they think, our oh, people aren't going to be watching telly, they're going to be moving about too much? I, I think that's it. They want to make sure they get the highest ratings and that doesn't mean putting shows on every single week, which yeah. is stupid, like, when you get sweeps week and you say, we're going to have a hash. Our show must be their biggest show this week. Mm. Stop it. I still don't understand also- what sweeps is. But also, it's the week that counts, I think. Mm -hmm. But there's a thing about Star Trek Discovery is that it's not like a cable or terrestrial show, though, is it? In America, isn't it airing on one of their streaming services? (laughs) Yes, it's CBS. It's uh, is it CBS? You've got to pay like eight dollars a month. Just the only thing on it is Star Trek Discovery. Right. So having a mid-season break doesn't even make any sense. No, because. They can do whatever they want. For ratings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, yeah, but it's, that's it, America's, right, stuck in this kind of traditional model still. Yeah, it's it's tough watching people use new technology to fit in ways of doing the old system. Mm. But you can just drop all of Discovery in a week, and people can watch it in a week and go, wow, that's really good. Or you can tease it out for who bloody long. Yeah. Although there is kind of a debate about the disposableness of a lot of Netflix stuff in that regard and Amazon stuff in that they can yeah. dump it all on in one go and it's there and forgotten about a week later. You know? I, I do like watching uh, if I'm going through a series I'll do an episode a night mm. unless it properly grabs me and then I'll do like three. Um, but yeah, I don't like sitting down to watch seven hours of stuff and I like having the time to digest and to talk to folks and say, what do you make of I thought this? Because mm. you lose a bit of a social experience if you just marathon something on your own. The, the, that's true. But also, I've had this debate with um, my wife recently because we did watch Stranger Things pretty much, except for a few breaks in between for other stuff. We basically just watched it all in one day. Um, and it you you do kind of like stop to talk about it but you're also talking about it as it's happening because you're watching it all in one go and i said to her because she she doesn't really like watching films that are like over two hours two and a half hours mm-hmm. she just sort of turns her nose up but we end up watching a you know nine episode season of stranger things in one go and i don't know why it's so different i think probably because each episode is structured as an episode it's own discrete thing so it, it builds in and you can feel that you're accomplishing or getting through part of our story. Hmm. And there's there's this defined jumping off point. So if you intended from the start of watching all of them in a in a row, you hmm. could say, actually, you know what? I can't be bothered anymore. I can't. I haven't got. I can't watch all of these. At the end of this episode, I'm going to turn it off. Whereas yes. if you're watching a, a film or something like that, you've got to try and judge the right mm. point that you to stop at if you're going to go back to it later and you know how do you do that if you mm. haven't if you haven't seen the film before that's that's true i guess but there is also the point like this is you can just pause it now i mean it's like even if it's on tv and you're watching it you can just pause it 
Yeah, but there, there comes a point where your your attention span is gone. You think I'm not enjoying mm. this enough. I mean, it took me two sittings to watch Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm enjoying it, but I've been here for an hour and a bit. Come on. No, that's fine. That I had the same same experience with um, Wolf Hall. Um, uh, you know, what I mean. that's quite different. Yeah, that is quite different. Yeah. I enjoyed. I watched it in the cinema, and then I watched half of it at home. In fact, I never went back and finished the second half, um, as you're speaking. But I did also watch Wolf Hall, as it happens in two sittings. You know, I started yeah. it when it was on TV. I recorded a few episodes, watched them back to back, and I just never went back to finish them until it was all added to Netflix. And then I found out Netflix have got like an Americanized version of Wolf Hall, where the episodes are kind of compressed and different, which is a weird thing to do. What they got rid of? There was something to do with the first two episodes of Wolf Hall on BBC. I think became three episodes on the, the Netflix series. Like they'd broken it up differently. Right, so they're not they're not cutting stuff out. They're just cutting it into different size chunks. Yeah, I can't I can't remember off the top of my head what they did with it, but I think they did cut something and changed the order around of some things yeah but if i if we had time and i could be bothered i would look it all up again but i just remember thinking at the time that it was just a bit odd and it didn't happen the way i remembered it first time but that's by the way yeah there's an article in that only like a year and a half too late yeah wait until the second series of wolf hall starts and then get on it again no stranger things though i mean have you guys watched the first season of Stranger Things? Yes. No, I've got, got half a clue. Watch? I've got half a clue what it is, and I've been told you really like it. I thought possibly it just hadn't got round to it. Do you like the eighties, Brian? Do you like the eighties? Do you like things from the eighties? Do you like references to things that happened and oh, were done in I, the eighties? I got through fifteen pages of Ready Player One and thought this can fuck right off. <laughs> right. I'm not being pandered to. Yeah. Um, There's the so, whole nostalgia no. porn element of Stranger Things. And in the first episode of the second season, it really rams down your throat just how much of a thing set in the 80s this is. There's no easing you back into this. This is a, hey, here's a video games arcade from the 80s, and here's this 80s game. And if you didn't notice that it's from the 80s, it says 1983 on it, so you get the idea of, like, when it's from. Here's some more music from the 80s that's soundtracking these people in the car. It very much goes hard on the 80s nostalgia, but it is also a really good show. I mean, it's... the the the. The second season has a mild dip. Episode 7 was not so good. It goes off on this weird sort of side quest, um, which doesn't add anything to, to the story. The other thing that... Well, I guess it adds something to the story. It was just a bit meh. wasn't that bothered about it. But the, the thing that was totally different about Stranger Things... In fact, Steve, Steve, as someone who's seen the first season of Stranger Things... Yes. What is one, what is one of the best things about the characters? They're all from the 80s. <laughs> Except for the fact that they're all in the 80s. Thank you, Peter Kay. Um, <laughs> uh, best thing about the characters, I don't... Would you say it's because there's, there's like a group of friends, right? So yeah, but that's, again, that's, that's very nostalgic because not necessarily 80s films, but... All, a lot of the films you watched growing up from stuff like Stand By Me or The Goonies yep. or yep. it's all about a group of kids. Like, yeah, there's a group of kids, they're all mates, and there's a stranger who's brought into the group. Yeah. kind of disrupts things, right? And that dynamic changes and shifts, and as the, the sort of season progresses, they form a bond, and you watching form that bond with them because you get so attached to these characters. The second season... Eleven is not part of that group, right? The, the the stranger from the first series is not part of that group again. Um, and it's set, I think it's a year, 12 months ahead of the finale from the last season. And so I think because that structure has been broken, there's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't have the same, like, you're not as gripped to the people in it. For that reason. And so Eleven's got her story. The group have got their story going on. 
there's the whole upside down stuff, and it has all the, the things that make Stranger Things good, and it's still a very well written show that you like the people in it, even the people who aren't likable characters. You like how they've been written and introduced into the story, um, because it's just done so bloody well, and it's directed fantastically well by the Duffer Brothers. Um, it's also it, it's it's just a really good, engrossing, binge watchable series. Whether that you think that's a good thing or not, I mean, it, it, we couldn't stop watching it basically once we'd started. Um, it's, it is good. Did you watch Gravity Falls? Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> for those who don't know, it's a, a cartoon, but it's about that sort of eighties. You go off to live with your uncle in another state, you know, like the world's like there's weird stuff happening, and it starts off funny and cute, like oh, it's leprechauns, oh, it's a mermaid boy, and then it gets dark. Yeah. Like still, so like, have fun, but dark. Yeah, I okay. really recommend that. Lots of people have recommended it to me as well. I think and in they, fact, Callum might have written a oh, really it's good right up, it's right up Callum Street. Yeah. But they did season one, season two, said, that's it, done. I had two seasons in my head, I have done them. Anything else would just be rubbish. Hmm. I'll have to do something else. Which is how you should do it. Yeah, come to a natural conclusion. I think this will probably run for another couple of seasons, Stranger Things. I think there's still more to explore here. In fact, it, it kind of has a theme this time round where the story takes place because the group are different it's not about the group as much in the second season as about a thing that's happening to the town of Hawkins and so um, they could quite easily go on the third season something else is happening to the town of Hawkins and then the fourth season something else has happened and the fifth season boom kids are too old knock it on the head isn't that Buffy? yeah Buffy basically yeah I think the natural conclusion will be when the kids are too old. Because at the minute they're like 12 years old, I think, 12 to 14. When they're, that, when they're 18, that's it then. Done. Or you get a new generation of kids, you either stay in the setting, or you send the kids elsewhere. Or you do the 80s thing, which is you take one of the kids, maybe not the most popular one, but you send them off to another city and you focus on them and their talk show. And they get another <laughs> seven season out or something. Yeah. Frasier it. I think that is the technical term. Yeah. yeah. Equality. Possibly. Or they could do like in uh, It. Second part of It. And just have them all as adults. Just cut to the modern. Mm -hmm. Modern day. And they're all adults. Like, they all go uh, Claire Foy regenerating into Olivia Coleman. Mm -hmm. For the Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's get them to do that. One thing yes. I notice about um, Stranger Things, and it's something I don't watch anything of, but there's a Beyond Stranger Things, which is like a talk show set after each episode. Like, yeah, I don't, I yeah don't, and talking I, dead and stuff like that. I don't get... Well, I, I've tried watching the, the, the Talking Dead before, and mm. I've, I think I used to watch a similar one when Lost was on. And the problem is they're invariably made either by the same network as um, mm -hmm. the people who made the show or they're made by the channel showing the show and they're just biased. So, I mean, The Walking Dead's a prime example because it's, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of crap in The Walking Dead. It's some of its absolute drivel and they're sort of, they're, they, they don't ever look at any negatives. Um, because it, why would you? You're an ad, you're basically an advert for for the main show, yeah. but it's not a. It doesn't give you a true. Um... I think it could give you an intro, an, an insight in the way that a film commentary can. If you're watching, a, you know, DVD with a commentary yeah. on, they can give you that behind the scenes insight. Oh, we did this because you know we wanted to. I mean, there is a lot of the whole kind of um, you know mise en scène that's in in Stranger Things. You watch stuff and. Every, everything you're looking at means something, which is great, and you can read into it different things about how different characters are. Like the whole thing of Eleven is that she's like a she's trapped, she's like a prisoner. So lots of times you'll see her, she's walking past things where there are bars in front of her, whether it's the grid on her row of bikes or you know the window shutters or the shadow, like in a sort of film noir, is just streaming across her face. Oh, she's trapped, and I like that stuff. But at the same time, 
Um, that I, that is the kind of thing that a show can do is to can explore this kind of thing with the people who've created it. And ironically, I think it's kind of like a podcast. Um, but unlike a podcast, I would probably listen to a podcast in the commute. When I've just watched like seven, eight hours of a TV show, I really don't feel like watching another seven or eight hours yeah, of people talking about the show straight after it. It's not the time for it. Yeah. Um, unless it's like, oh my God, did you see I Can't Believe? And you need to have some sort of outlet for it, but you don't get an outlet by watching or by consuming more content. No. Like, you get on Twitter and you talk to your mates and say, shit, did you see? But listening to Joe Wilkinson or whatever say, oh, I can't believe that, that was amazing. The way that they thought they were safe and they went somewhere else, but they yeah. weren't safe. <laughs> Guess he doesn't like The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for what we've been watching, where we take a look at some of the films we've seen uh, in the last week or so that won't feature in our new release section. I'm going to stick with the Netflix uh, theme, as I've seen a Netflix original um, in between the time we last recorded and now, and that was Babysitter, the horror comedy, the horror comedy Babysitter, a Netflix original uh, film that. I watched because everybody was raving about it. Mm-hmm. It seemed that everybody had... It was another kind of Netflix thing, um, like Stranger Things, that everyone had seen. Everyone was raving about it, so you had to get on it and watch it. Um, a lot of people compared it to Tucker and Dale versus Evil in terms of the way it, the comedy in it. But I, I don't know if you remember, and when I saw that, I didn't really get on with it. Um, I'm outraged. I'm going to watch it again because I think maybe I was just in the wrong mood to watch it when I watched it because it sounds like it should be the kind of film I like and pretty much everyone else likes it. So, uh, But anyway, that's not The Babysitter. This is The Babysitter. And it's about um, uh, a lad called Cole who is um, a bit of a loser at school and he gets bullied and everything. But um, he gets on really well with his babysitter. Um, And she is looking after him one night. And when she thinks he's in bed, she gets her friends around. And it turns out they're kind of part of some weird cult. Um, And they kill kill another teenager in his house. And it goes from there. Yeah, Yeah, I... I did like it. I did. I did think it was. It was quite funny. I mean, the there wasn't many kind of big scares, or it wasn't kind of a massive slasher film. It wasn't that gruesome or anything for the most part. Mm. Were a couple of bits, but in general, well, I just thought it was. It was quite funny, quite well put together, um, quite clever in places. I didn't just tread the same paths that a lot of um, like horror spoofs do, you know, like scary movie 4, 5, 12, whatever they're on, just, you know, keep playing for easy jokes and easy laughs, it, it, it did seem to be quite clever and well thought out you've seen it, haven't you, Owen? I, yeah, I really liked it Yeah, and it's, I, I agree that it's nothing like scary movie, because it looks like from the trailer it could possibly be a kind of spoof or parody um, and I really don't think it is. I don't think it's a, a spoof or parody of um, cult horror movies or slashers. No, or... it's not. It's not like a a parody or a like um, like scary no. movie like we mentioned, or yeah, or, or even or even something like um, Cabin in the Scream Woods. It's probably which, uh, which closer to. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, bit, yeah. It's knowing it, it knows what it is and it's playing. Yeah, it's playing on that, and it has lots of comedy in it, and a lot of the the. Uh, scary horror moments are played for laughs. Yeah, it's mostly uh, played for laughs, isn't it? The the the, the death scenes. It's I mean, come on, it's a horror film. There's going to be death scenes, so the death scenes are mostly played for laughs. Um, quite a lot of it is is played play, played for the humour side of it more than anything else. But um, it does a lot of things that like with the genre that aren't. Like it breaks a lot of the conventions. It show it shows you that it knows what the conventions of a like a slasher film are, and then does the reverse of that. So stuff like you know in a slasher film, 
you know, almost starting with uh, John Carpenter's uh, Halloween um, in the, in the late seventies. You know, the whole thing that that that's true for that whole subgenre of slasher is that if you have sex, you're gonna die. Those are the rules. That's what happens in slashers. You have sex, you die. And yeah. in this, it kind of subverts that trope because the one that the protagonist is lusting after basically becomes the incarnate of all things evil and twisted instead. So rather than this like twelve-year-old boy, I think he is Cole. Yeah. Um. Rather than um him lusting after her and then him dying, it's the other way around. She's the evil one. And I kind of I kind of think it knows that it, it's doing that to play on that whole idea that because uh, she's she's play it's Samara Weaving for anyone who's. Um, familiar. She's in um, the Nice Guys. She's the girl in the yellow dress in the Nice Guys. She's been in quite a few things recently. But the whole point of her character is she's like uh, the one that all of his friends lust after. They fancy her, and she's the most beautiful woman in the room and stuff. But she's also crazy and this head of a cult. And uh, it's McGee who's the director as well, and I think he, he's cleverly playing with all those expectations for how you think the film is going to go and then just has a lot of fun in doing the opposite all the time and there's another thing which is quite good about it which i think is the like otherworldly quality that it has to it because it's almost like it's not like a dream or a nightmare kind of quality it's just like it's just not real you're watching it and things don't feel um like a reality that we're that we're aware Mm. of so the stuff when you first meet Cole and he's outside of his school and it's him and his friend and they're walking towards, walking through the school gates, I think. And they're just conversing with each other in normal time, but everything around them is slow motion. Like kids on skateboards are going in slow motion. Um, you know, all their, their friends rushing out of school are going slow motion, but they're just normal. And I think that's done in a way to show that the other people are just inconsequential in this. You know, the the world is happening still, but what's happening to them is just hyper real. And so uh, that worked really well, I felt. Uh, well, there's lots of stuff in it. Like, I think it's very cleverly constructed and it's very funny. Um, I, but, you know, I mean, the characters in it are very one dimensional and people, they that's kind of the point of them, I think. I don't know yeah. whether you agree. You can cut me off if you disagree. But I think the, the whole point of them is that they're just like caricatures of. Um, what a yeah, stereotype in, in, of in, in that way, in, in that way, it, it was quite a bit like um, Cabin in the Woods. Although in Cabin in the Woods, the setup was that they had to create these people to play to those stereotypes. The actual yeah. protagonist of the film or antagonist had to make these people adhere to the stereotype. They were still quite defined. There was the you know the jock, the whatever, the whatever, and it was it's like the, yeah, and it was quite like this in in the members of the cult in the babysitter they were all quite compartmentalized into the box that's this one that's this one that's this one that's this one that's what their personality which is done un- do. intentionally as a comedy yeah yeah it's done yeah yeah it's, it's done just, it, it, as i'll explain i think in when i review the film i've seen this week as well i don't think that always necessarily then excuses um some of the kind of plodding aspects of of the the structure and the the characters but i think it's fine i i i really did enjoy it um i liked the ending as well i thought the the, the sort of culmination of this ludicrous story um with its weird un, again it's not really it's not like it has a grasp on reality it's almost fantasy um but the way that that kind of wraps itself up at the end is fine yeah. and the, it's a, it's a very quick and short film the pace is just relentless. Yeah, right? yeah, it just, it's, it's it like just goes from minutes start and, like Yeah, it's yeah. not even an hour and a half. There's no lull, basically. It just, no. It's just full on. And that's that works in its favour. I mean, it does feel a bit like it's a, a music video. But it's like, um, have you seen Detention? The kind of sci-fi horror yes. time-travelling. It reminded yeah. me a lot of, of Detention. Yeah. And there's lots of strong primary colours here. Everything is very bright. It was um, it was kind of very eye catching, wasn't it? It was very yeah. You know, it it looked very good, but it looked very sort of high death, high. You know, yeah, um, very vibrant that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, so I think it has that, which also helps because it, it is a bit cartoonish in nature. Yeah, um, um, I'd also say obviously people it is it is billed as a horror comedy, but if you're if you're scrolling through your Netflix when you you know after you listen to this podcast, and go, I want to watch. If you want to watch a horror, don't watch this. If you want to watch a comedy, watch this. Yeah, because or if you, you, watched you, the... you won't you won't get. If you're if you wanting to watch a horror, i.e. wanting to scare yourself and that kind of thing, this won't do it. Yeah, I mean, we when we, like, I have my brother over some Halloweens, and we um, not this year, but sometimes he comes over and we just watch sort of three or four um, horror films on Halloween, and we always start with a kind of a horror comedy because they're quite you know something like Shaun of the Dead, Tucker and Dale, we did, yeah. you know, Hot Fuzz, that kind of thing. This would be a good starter if you were going to do a binge watch on Halloween of horror movies. I think it's a good yeah. easing you into the, the vibe and the mood, and then you can switch to some bit more scary yeah. or something else that's on. Like, it Follows would be a good one to mm. to back onto this, I think, because it's yeah. about that, those kind of age characters and stuff. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Did you? So it sounds like you enjoyed it as well, though. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was very good. Um, it has encouraged me to try Tucker and Dale versus Evil again at some point. Uh, but yeah, another another hit Netflix original. Brian, what have you seen this week? I've started watching Hawk and Catch Fire. It's I got a recommendation from my brother, and the last thing he recommended to me was Black Sails. So oh, I trust this one. It's AMC's Mad Men replacement on the grounds that shit, Mad Men's finished. Shit, Walking Dead's finished. So I will make a film or a TV show set in the 1980s about a tech company trying to compete with IBM for the home computer market. Now that doesn't sound thrilling, and parts of it aren't. Parts of it are, we need this BIOS! It has to be, you, you've lost me. I know it's important to you, I know it's important to the character. But you've lost me. Uh, Lee Pace from Pushing Daisies and the Hobbit films and Guardians of the Galaxy plays the, the Don Draper. He's enigmatic, charismatic, he's got a past. Because a year and a bit ago he vanished from IBM to the point that they said they put his name on uh, milk cartons. And now he appears at this small time Texan computing company, gets a job in sales, taps up one of their developers and says, we're going to take an IBM machine, take it to pieces, find out what makes it work, and then we're going to make our own ones, which is illegal. So then he tells IBM what he's done. IBM send the lawyers in. He gets a, a crew together and says, right, we're going to build this thing without using any information that we've just got. It's slightly exciting, slightly enigmatic, slightly, we have so much to lose. And... I was ready to sack it off halfway through, episode one, and it pulled me around at the end because there's a mystery here that you want to get teased out. Who was this person? And I was going to sack it off halfway through the second episode because I can't be bothered with this. But it ends with him confessing to his associates that he, he his straight has ripped open in a fight, a stupid nerd car park fight, and he's got scars all over his body. And he says, when I was a kid, every other boy was interested in this big baseball game that every American knows about. But I wasn't. I was listening to Sputnik coming down, and the boys chased me. I fell off the roof, and that's why I've got all these scars. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you're one of us. We'll, we'll go on your team. Until the next day, where one of his pals says, Sputnik came down the year before. So we know you're full of bullshit, but we'll go with it. And I thought... I, I want to see what this is about. Uh, they're all moderately interesting. Stupid Mary's in it, who you'll have seen from... Batman versus Superman. Yes. The guy in the wheelchair. Yes. Uh, Mackenzie Davis, who... Oh, I looked her up as well. But it's... Right now they're still just filling in their archetype rules. It's in the 80s. It's not half as easy to Stranger Things. <laughs> um, the the credits are like Tronstar computer graphics, um, but it a lot of the characters eighties counterculture or eighties subculture. So there's a woman who just wears combats all the time. 
and it's it's Texas, not like somewhere hip like New York, so it's it does have that sort of Mad Men feel about it. And I want to see if they do the Mad Men thing of we'll skirt alongside big social issues. Like did I am I the one here who watched Mad Men? I know the ending of it because of um mm-hmm. the babysitter. They right. literally joke about spoiling the ending of the yeah. spoiler. There's a there's a few bits where they uh, Don and his wife are in the, the sitting room watching KJFG has been shot and they're watching uh, Lee Harvey will come out and shit that will be just shot a guy and it, they do bits of touching with that and I want to see how um, Hulk and Catchfire deals with the setting being the 80s and as to progress it's a little bit thing that they have to address or can they just pretend it didn't happen or what's it going to be so I am hooked, despite my best uh, intentions. It's got me. Owen, what have you seen this week? Um, I watched a film on Shudder again, um, which has just been added fairly recently. And there's three different versions of it that have been added to Shudder, plus there's a director's commentary as well that's on there. It's called Found Footage 3D. They've added a 2D version, which is what I watched. I watched Found Footage 3D, 2D version. Um, there's a Found Footage 3D, 3D version, which is meant for um, people with 3D TVs, that kind of thing. And there's a uh, Found Footage um, version, of which is in 3D, which is where you have the old glasses with the sort of red and blue film. Sort of oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those. Um, and they gave that away. They gave those glasses away as a promotional thing for uh, Shudder when it was added in America. And we've got that version here, but we don't have the promotion to get those glasses. But so, where would you get them? Would you subscribe and they get posted out to you? You in yeah, you just gave Shudder your address and they'd post a right. pair of the glasses out to you. But if you were in America, yeah. Not. So. Um, I could time travel back to the 80s and get a pair, but I'm not going to do that because it's impossible. That's the reason. It is with um, that. It's um, impossible with that attitude, Owen. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's difficult. That's not the same thing. It's it's almost impossible. It could be possible. But it's if, probably Owen, you ever invite invent uh, time travel, the first point you have to come back to is right here, right now, in whatever room you're recording in. And there you go. I mean, You've never done yeah. it. This disproves yeah. it then. Yeah. 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 Unless I just forget. We've just disproved time travel. Yeah. So. Um, no, but there's no time travel in phone footage 3D. Uh, it's, as the title uh, alludes to, it's a phone footage movie. Um, and it's kind of, um, I mean, I would say it's a meta film. I know meta is now becoming one of these words that people hate to hear about movies, but it, it's about a group of people making a found footage 3D movie. Like, literally, the, the gimmick for their found footage movie is that it's in 3D. Um, and then, of course, stuff happens to them, and that's this then becomes the found footage film about them making their found footage film. Um, but it's also in this kind of nod and a wink sort of way that it, it says to pe- people almost directly, you know, uh, you know, this is the bit where the, the creepy locals are supposed to say, oh, you don't want to go down to that old farm out in those there, down their woods. You don't want to do that. And then, of course, the locals who they just happen upon are just not very good actors and they don't get it. And I say, oh, well, no, but you're not actually going to this place, are you? And they're like, yeah. And oh. You don't want to go there. And lots of stuff actually happens throughout the film that's like that. And it's it's obviously done in a way to say, look, we're going to try and deconstruct found footage movies for you. We're going to show you why found footage movies conform to these tropes, to these conventions, these cliches, as they, they often call them. Um, why these, these things have become a cliche, like why is the cabin in the woods a cliche? In a, in a horror movie, and particularly in phone footage movies. You know, why are spooked locals a cliche? Why are, why do they have jump scares in phone footage movies? Why is there a room that's just, towards the end of the movie, there's just gore? 
you know, how do you build up to this? And they, sh- they almost, like, talk you through how they're making this. You know, the amorphic ghostly spirit that haunts them in this haunted house that they're in, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, where the locals say don't go. You know, all this kind of stuff is there, and they, they purposefully tell you they're doing this, and then do it anyway. And in in a lot of ways, I quite liked it in the same in the same way that I enjoyed reading Stuart Lee's book where he deconstructed his own stand-up, you know, where he would ha- literally transcribe some of his um, sets and then tell you what the jokes were within them and why it was written that way. This film tries to do that whole um, contextualising of its own material as it's going along. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it wants to have its cake and eat it because it wants to... It wants to tell you what it's doing, but it also wants to be a scary phone footage film. And it it can't be both. Um, and it, it, it isn't both. It, it, it just... It doesn't really work as a kind of narrative. Like, something that you would watch and enjoy. You watch it and you think, okay, they know how to make these films and now they're, te- they're just doing them anyway. Like, oh, we can get away with not having makeup and having poor visual effects and with having, you know, terrible lighting and stuff, because it's a fame footage film, and so this is the director's telling you that you can do this, and then they just do it anyway. It's like, well, but it still does look a bit shit. I mean, I know that's kind of the point, but when you've got these really grainy, high ISO sort of pictures, just, well, yeah, it does look shit, but I can see what your point is, but I'm also now watching a shit picture. Um, So it's fine. I think one of the best best things about it that they kind of nail is having the right actors for this this role uh these roles that they've, they've got with these group of of uh not quite friends but colleagues um because the plot centers around the guy who's making the film and his wife who have separated but they're working together on this film and they go to a place where a man and a what there was a murder between this these spousal uh, spouses and they threw the body in the lake and now the house is haunted by the spirit of one of them and that's where they decide to go and then the plot is about like within their actual movie the plot is about um a man and a woman who uh have arguments and fall out and they haven't written the final act so you don't know what's going to happen in the end but then obviously as they're explaining all this to you, that stuff literally happens to them and they're not aware of that stuff is happening to them is what they're doing within the film. And it's kind of, like I say, they want the cake and, and to eat it because they want it to be all the things that they're telling you that it is. And I just don't, it just didn't quite work for me. So, um, yeah. One of the interesting things that I found out about this film, it's not really about the film, actually. Uh, I decided to look it up on IMDb. Director and writer Stephen De Janeiro. Uh, if you go to IMDb, the the first review that comes up when you scroll down the page and go to reviews, and it's a full, however many stars, ten stars you get on IMDb, uh, and it's written by someone that was called I've got it here, Vince De Janeiro, and he's given it a full ten out of ten. Wow! All I can say is wow. Funny, scary, and emotional. What more? What more could you want? Come on, no one's going to fall for that, really. <laughs> it's just a bit lame. Um, and, in, in, yeah, so the film's fine. I think one of the things that it's quite well known for already, why it's got a bit of a cult following, is because Scott Weinberg uh, was one of the co-producers of this film, and he's a very um, well-known American film critic, uh, writes for Fearnet, and he's in the film as himself. And everyone's so, like, amazed when he turns up. Wow, it's Scott Weinberg. I can't believe Scott Weinberg is here. And that also made me cringe quite a bit. Um, so, yeah. But, but basically, I'm going to get that later when we come to recommendations. I've got... Because it's with Halloween, obviously. And Shudder is just fantastic service for horror films. I've got a huge list of, of horror films that I, I think people should watch. And fame footage hasn't broken into that list after watching it. So... But it was kind of interesting as an experiment, I suppose. Okay. Just to switch up how we usually do things uh, this week, because our review of Thor Ragnarok 
may well contain some spoilers, although we're not going to do a separate spoiler alert. We're going to bung the recommendations in here. I'm going to go with Netflix, as we've been a bit Netflix heavy this evening. And The Martian has just been added uh, to Netflix UK. Owen? Uh, well, I've like just said um, a minute or two ago, uh, Shudder is... You can get a free month's um, trial for Shudder. Uh, it's it's the Netflix of horror films, basically. Uh, they've got tons and tons and tons of stuff on there. I think it's owned by Sony. I think every other week so far for the past six months, I've been reviewing a movie that I've watched on Shudder. So, yeah, it's good quality films on there. There's a bunch of them on there if you want to look for something to watch on Halloween. Night of the Living Dead, the classic 1968 film, is obviously top of my list. There's also the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Witchfinder General from 1968 with Vincent Price, um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, an American Werewolf in London, Hellraiser, American Psycho, Reanimator, Scanners, Let the Right One In, both versions of Nosferatu, um, tons and tons of like absolute classics that everyone will already know of. I think there's a couple that I could probably point out that m- might not be so familiar to people. Um, Thirst is on there, which is uh, Park Chan-wook's uh, Korean zombie film with Song Kang-ho in it. Um, just the most weird vampire film you'll ever watch, probably. Uh, so that's definitely worth uh, worth a watch. It was one of my it was one of my favourite Korean films for, for ages, and um, it still is one of my favourites. So yeah, that's up there. The Love Witch is on there, which came out in the UK this year and is still top of my list. I think for films. Of 2017 so far? Yeah, The Love Witch is... It's uh, not actually set in the 70s. It just has that aesthetic of being 70s. Um, which is... It's directed by Anna Biller, who she basically provided all the costumes for it. She wrote it. She directed it. Um, I can't remember whether she acted a cinematographer on it as well, but I, I have a feeling probably not. But it's... Um, it's just a... Hard to explain. It's about a witch who casts a love potion, but she kills men. But it's fucking amazing. It's brilliant. Um, so that's top of the list to, to check out straight away when you go on Shudder. Like I say, tons of stuff. Ty West's The House of the Devil. Very good indie horror film from 2007. I have, uh, I think it's 2007. That's also just great. There's a, a Giallo film, Deep Red, which is on there. Fucking amazing, probably the best Giallo film you'll watch. Um, I didn't mention Battle Royale, but Battle Royale is also on there. Like I say, tons of stuff. Classics, Carnival of Souls, if you've never seen that. Abominable Snowman is also great. Um, both Dead Snow films. Like, just go on Shudder, use your free trial. You, If you like horror films, you will find something that you've been meaning to watch, something that you want to rewatch, or something you've never heard of that is also great. It's just got qu- quite a massive selection of stuff. So, okay. Shudder.com is my entire recommendation this week. Okay, and uh, Brian? Uh, I'm going to recommend a sitcom called Letter Kenny. It's a Canadian a show that comes out on Crave TV, if you can get that one. And it's it's kind of like the thick of it in terms of creative, creative profanity, but it's about backwards hicks in in the middle of Canada. Did you... But it's very funny. There's another thing that I end up sharing with my dad, and he laughs like a 13-year-old, what's it when mum's not in the house? Um, for two of the episodes, they've started with... Uh, like, they'll run through the alphabet. So, they say a few sentences, and every word begins with A. Cut. More sentences, everything begins with B. Cut. And they go right the way through. It's tremendously well written. Bits of it are like less like a sitcom, sitcom or like a sketch show or a children's story where the character comes in, they do their bit, something that happens, character does a bit, and it's heavy on repetition. Sometimes that's funny, sometimes that is you only have 15 minutes worth of material and you don't know how to pad this out to 22 minutes. Get on with it, please. But I, everything on IMDb is in the ratings above the, the 8.5 something. It's tremendously funny. It's Electric Kenny, found on Crave TV. Um, you might need subtitles because it's got some pretty thick accents. Mm-hmm.
Okay, so now it's time for our uh, look at uh, Thor Ragnarok, which, <laughs> which is uh, the third Thor film and the 17th MCU film. And we're not getting sick of it yet, are we? I I I, I love Ragnarok. Like, I knew from the first trailer that I'm talking just now with a massive smile on my face. Yeah, obviously... It's starring uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor and Tom Hilston as Loki. Um, Mark Ruffalo is back as uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Um, Idris Elba is back as Heimerdahl. And Kate Blanchett comes into this one as the main villain of Hela, the goddess of death, coming to destroy Asgard. Uh, there's many other names in there as well. Even some um, pretty good cameos at the, near the start. Oh yeah, I. That was that was brilliant. I thought that looks like, <laughs> but no, it can be. Yeah. Yes, it was. And that Matt surely Damon can't be. Sam Neil. Yeah, first, that first sure... film Sam Neil and Jeff Goldblum have been in together since Jurassic Park. Did you know? Yes. That? Mm-hmm. And um, um, Chris Hemsworth's brother playing Thor in that play as well. Oh. Luke, Luke Hemsworth, the the lesser Hemsworth. No, the third of all the Hemsworth. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the one they don't talk about. Um, the one who I'm didn't make sure. out any of us. Yeah. But, yeah, that was just pretty... Hang on. Was that Matt mm. Damon? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say all three of us really enjoyed this film. I, I, was, would, yeah. I yeah. was gasping for breath. And I mean, if, if we're going to pick the, the couple of negatives from my point of view. We'll start on the negatives and we'll just praise it non-stop. But the the plot was a bit thin, but I thought it was okay, <laughs> really. But it was it was a bit thin and, and the villain was... Um, I thought Kate Blanchett was very good, but the actual villain, their arc, was just a bit cookie-cutter, same as every other Marvel villain in, in, like, a, in like an origin... She could have you know, had just three scenes in the entire film, and the story wouldn't have changed very much. No, you know, yeah, it, much like Doctor Strange or the first Iron Man, they filled in a template. They, yeah, they've coloured in, they've coloured in, in the brightest possible pencil possible. But I thought, I thought template. she did as much yeah, with yeah. the, mu- I thought she did as much with the role as she could. Oh yeah, she was great. But but at never at never any point, and I think this is what Marvel need to do with, with some of their villains. Is ne- at never any point that I think. They're actually going to lose. Like Thor, Thor is actually going to end this film with a bit of a hiding and lose. I mean, they kind of did lose something. You know, they had to. Yes. They had to lose it. Um, so well, so got, which well, I don't know because I've sets off the whole place. cosmic. Sets off the whole cosmic yeah. stuff now. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Exactly. But, but no, I mean the thing. The thing that, even though from the trailers you got a sense of it, I think the the, the two things that kind of got me the most were the, were the humour. It was so funny, and mm. just the way it looked. It just looked brilliant. It looked like more like a Guardians of the Galaxy film in parts than it looked the Thor film. It's, it's even more than that. It's it's not just dialogue eleven. It's dialogue to twelve, and it's completely unapologetic. It's not like. Uh, the the Justice League and the trailer for that looks out of pomp. But the Batman it's like well, we have to apologise for being superheroes because you know the Dark Knight's really serious. This is towards a dude and he wants to get his stuff and he has to go some special stuff. And I've, I've, I've always th- thought that superhero films shouldn't be over, overly serious. They're they're meant to be fun. They can be whatever you want them to be. It's not a genre. It's a, a setting. Like murder mystery, you can have whatever sort of murder mystery you want. You can have Steve Larson's horrible looking people in boxes of stories, or you can have Miss Marple. They're both murder mm. stories. You can have The Dark Knight, or you can have Ragnarok. It's still superheroes, but it's a different way to tell a thing. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who stole the, 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 every scene they're in for me. Uh, I'm not going to say the obvious one of, of Jeff Goldblum's. Grandmaster. Oh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's Korg. Yeah, yeah. Korg. Yeah. Korg. Korg was hilarious. Yeah. I th- it was the accent as well, partly. I don't know why. It, was just, it, it just makes it just everything did, funnier. Yeah. Yeah. It was like watching Flight of the Concords again for a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit with some of the humour. Yeah, but um, 
the bit of the uh, where he says that uh, the bug's dead. Oh, he's just dead. Yeah, yeah, trucking him. Oh, you're a rat. It's great. <laughs> it was yeah. the, the, the bit that uh, everyone spoken to about Thor that said that all they've done is gone home and either text each other gifts or send each other lines and the bit about I'm just a guy made out of the rocks that's not a problem for you unless you're made out of nerves like this guy is yeah. <laughs> what is that of reading up on IMDB in two things one I got a response for uh, an IT consultant called Friedrich's Friedrich Thor Ragnarsson, who's done one cartoon thing, but that's a quality name. And two, apparently 80% of dialogue was improvised. Mm. Which I would, well, I would like to believe that. Because I would also like to believe that they didn't give Jeff Goldblum a script. Because have you seen Jeff Goldblum on chat shows? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen, have you seen him on Corner? <laughs> yes! Yeah. Watch him on Corner O'Brien. There's a bit from like five years ago, and it's in. I'd like to didn't even give him costume and makeup. And just said, <laughs> Jeff, you we're gonna do this with you. Come in on Monday. It's like, hmm, excellent. Mm. Oh. It was I I've just run a bit where Thor's in the chair going into his, his room at first. And it it's like Willy Wonka crazy music. Yeah, that's where it's, it's just, from. Yeah. My it's my mate and I kept on looking at each Oh yeah, I yeah. thought so it's, that's Willy Wonka. What mm. the fuck is going on here? <laughs> My mate and I were not pinching ourselves, but pretty close to that thing. Have we, have we either imagined this, or have we died? Do you, do you want to know what I think is the, one of the reasons for why it's so it's allowed to be so mental, and also why it works when other Marvel films who that try this don't always pull it off? I think it's because there's only two human characters in it. Two, like, two people from Earth. Uh, one of those is big and green for most of the film, and the other one's a sorcerer who basically gets a cameo. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. Yeah, for which I, which I, th- I thought was completely unnecessary. Oh, that was just shoehorning in Doctor Strange, so that you yeah. know now he fits in with this particular side of Marvel. I, I, um, I still like Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I still think he's. And I, I think I think his character is is quite interesting in this because he's obviously he's obviously quite conflicted and he obviously wants to do good but he's not good and he's in it for everything for himself. But he doesn't you want know, to do good. He wants to do well for him. And someone pointed out no because it, cause, because at the end he didn't have to come back and and do. You say that just his story's not over yet. One of the no, that's true. one thing to point out from Avengers is that Loki, his true to his nature is a god of mischief. He doesn't do anything bad. He just puts creates a trap and makes you to walk into it. And it's not his fault that you've walked into a trap. Um, so he's not doing bad things per se. He's just allowing you to do bad things for yourself. And if he's doing good things, mm. that's fine. He's doing bad things, that's fine. He's a very interesting character to watch. Other characters act around for what he draws into them. I, I did like the uh, uh, we're not doing get help. It's humility. It's Let's not do humility, get help. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> that, that's what it's going to be. Just talking about how much fun it was. Like hell, I I yeah. I want to see the short film that is middle management. Hella, like I mentioned, <laughs> Asgard, the scourge, or why have we got? Overheads, what is all this? Because uh, mm-hmm. the bit was in the throne room, I think, Terry, so Sludge, that's enough. Like, I want to watch more of this. You did, like with Chris Reckleston in The Dark World, you didn't give her enough to do. I would totally watch mm. another half hour of that. Yeah. I, th- I think what was, um, was, was quite interesting ahead of other, you, th- you saw, the Hulk as the Hulk having quite a bit of dialogue in this film, rather than it being when he's when he when he's green he smashes when he's when he's when he's banner he does all the talking. That mm-hmm. the, the actual Hulk had quite a bit of dialogue yeah. and you know because they are two separate characters essentially, aren't they? They're two very different people when they are separate. 
So, I mean, the bit where he jumps out of the, the ship and just smacks <laughs> Fanny's first on the... I, I thought, yeah, yeah, that surely they're not going to do that. Find out who surely I am. they're not going to do that. Yeah. But they, <laughs> they did not miss an opportunity for any joke at all. Like, right. Do you have a feature on that? You remember the bit okay. where Zorro yeah. gets his grandfather or whatever to come back and make a film? But yeah, I, I get see. the impression that's what Tiki or Tiki is like. It's like, what, when he kills us, we'll cost a pie in the face? Come on! It's like, every single joke gets hit. There's... Yep. But it doesn't, it doesn't get tiresome, and you could think, you know, sometimes, some films it would... Um, yeah. Because a, a lot of it is, like, very slapstick or obvious and stuff, and, but it doesn't matter because it's done really well, oh, I think. It's... You know, you can laugh at someone getting just falling face first onto a bridge if it's done in a particularly funny way. Mm. Um, and I think stuff like that, it, it, he just seems to have a really good knack for it. Have you guys seen What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder I, People? I want to know. In Hunt for the Wilder People. Okay. Because I was reading the review yeah. and they were saying, like, the thing about this is a, a, a stick with three wooden forks on it. It's only good if you want to kill three vampires that live very close to each other, which is what in the shadows. Yes. Well. <laughs> oh, I should watch that now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should. I mean, everyone should watch what we do in the shadows, um, which is kind of, for those who don't know, it's like a mockumentary about four vampires, five vampires, I think. No, four vampires who have a house share in, in New Zealand and they have to go about doing daily chores whilst also... There's a there's a there's a, a line in it where they say um, about why do they why do they uh, eat virgins? Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I like to think of it like a sandwich." <laughs> Somebody's fucked it. <laughs> she was like, "Yeah." Uh, that kind of that humour is also it's just fucking hilarious. And Hunt for the Wilder People as well. It's it's more of a sweet mm. kind of story about a, a foster kid. And Sam Neill, who's a, a grumpy dad, who foster dad, who doesn't really want to do the job. He want, his wife wanted to do it, and then his wife suddenly dies, and so he's stuck with this kid. But it's that is really funny as well. The both well, they were. I've seen the meeting. Whether Netflix has taken well, it. Well, they decided have let's do this guy, and he's going to do our thought. Because starting with Kenneth Banner, with Alan Taylor, who is he? Has he done anything notable? Has he done one of these bits where we'll do a safe pair of hands so we can tell them what to do? Yeah, so we'll get a TV guy who can tell them what to do, and then we'll go full on mental. Was with Game this of Thrones guy, I think. Guy who's yeah. multi technicolor. Um, I'd love to. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, would you want to watch another one? They'll be, get, they'll be getting it oh, back we'll get into stuff now, won't they? Like it, it, it was before because they're all mental. You couldn't have. But sure, surely it'd be switched on enough that not to do yes, it. Yes, it was again, like the same. Did you watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two? Wasn't that just the same? Again? But I still, but I still enjoyed it. So yeah, it who fun. knows? I I did like it. Is that his his team was called the Revengers? Yeah, that was, that was funny. <laughs> And also, speaking of the Revengers, uh, Tessa Thompson was was quite good as the Valkyrie. Yeah, she was quite interesting to add to that mix as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of all the all the kind of minor characters had a quite a good, I thought, um, kind of resolution in there. Picture Scourge, Heimdall, all kind of. He must have gone right. So I've got eight hours of hair and makeup, and then we've got secondary characters in the film. Where's the other page of my script? No, no, not with me. Yeah, so general consensus, obviously, Thor Ragnarok, great fun. So that's it, really, I suppose, for our our Ragnarok review. Um, we would just encourage you all to go and see it if you haven't done, because it is great fun, perfect escapism for a bit, and a, a very good superhero film, and. Yes, that's as we've done recommendations. That threw me for a second. Um, <laughs> that's all. That's all for this week's podcast. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you to all listeners for listening to us. We've um, had the email out to see we'll be back up. next week. Owen, with who knows at this rate? Who knows what's going to happen and when? 
Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with contributions from different guests every week, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit, remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics, on iTunes and all good podcast apps, or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Unlock and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.